0: This is Square Pizza, cooked up by Shermco.
1: Hey everyone, Kelsey here from the Shermco team. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Square Pizza. Today we have the pleasure of chatting with CDL or Christine DeLeon from Moonshot Adventures in Denver. Moonshot, as you'll hear, is a really innovative organization that's supporting diverse leaders to design and launch new learning environments through their fellowship. It wouldn't be a square pizza podcast without a little bit of absurdity, so today you'll hear us debate boys to men songs, how CDL has integrated Orange 3 Fitness into some of her education work, and of course we'll talk about how COVID-19 might change education forever, and obviously we'll talk about the impact and importance of Moonshot's work special note, we recorded this while self-isolating during COVID-19, so you can also check out the Zoom recording on YouTube. Enjoy.
2: All right, CDL, how are you? I am good. How are you too? Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me.
0: The Square Pizza Pod, we're excited. You are the second, third all-time ever video recording, um, so no pressure. The first two were great. We're expecting (laughs) the same greatness from you too
2: no
1: pressure lost another opportunity to deliver pizza to the door
2: yeah. yeah oh i'll tell you which place but i know that's a question coming up so i'll save it yeah, at some point <laughs> good um i'm very excited for that question
0: all right cdl we know that you've listened to every podcast episode intently and we know um that you've taken copious notes and so you're also aware that we like to start hopefully with a little bit of fun things at the beginning of our stuff. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit why you love boys to
2: men. I mean, okay. Why I feel like should be an obvious question. I mean, everybody uh, knows different. explain it to me. Really? I mean, I just feel like every song has, uh, to, for me, every song is now connected to like a moment in my life. And uh, I don't know why like I don't know why on bended knee is like one of my favorite songs and water runs dry Which I feel like is a song that nobody listens to like there's just it, water like, runs brings dry like back songs? What
0: water runs dry is one of your
2: favorite? I songs? I yeah, I I it's feel like it's Underrated song. very sad. I know but it's just that's what I'm saying. It's like they elicit so much emotion in okay. so many different ways I feel like when I listen to Boys to Men, I remember like my middle school angst, mm-hmm. you know, and like Stephanie Tanner at Full House dancing to Motown Philly, you yep. know. Like, there's so many things that like when I when I listen to Boys to Men, it takes me back so much so that I did go watch them in Vegas oh, with yeah. my family a couple of years ago. Great show. It was great. Uh, and he, they also did open for Bruno Mars um, in Denver because Cardi B. I can't remember why she couldn't do it. I think she was having a baby. Yep. Um, like I'm, I'm very current on boys to men. I just haven't tried the wine yet.
0: I no, I think I sent you that text, or I sent somebody that text. Yes, did. That's yeah. what we ordered you. Maybe your thank you present will be boys to men wine,
2: pizza, and wine.
0: Um, did you have a bad yeah. breakup in middle school that, and water runs dry, got you through it?
2: Honestly, I I kind of looked like Ugly Betty. In middle school, so oh, I haven't heard you <laughs> reference Ugly Betty. In- <laughs> I am really going to test your listeners here. Uh, <laughs> like, just huge glasses, braces, like frizzy hair. Got so it. if I'm being totally honest, I like pined over many people. Sure. Uh, but I don't. I don't remember. I don't recall having a successful relationship, and therefore, no real breakup.
1: Okay.
2: In middle school, Fair. it's just like you know the. I don't know. Yeah. I do you have a favorite? Say, by the way, do you have a favorite song?
0: Uh, probably Motown Philly. It's probably probably the first song I heard from them, like in second or third grade. Which then that was my intro to them, and then everything else after that, of course, was magical.
2: Ugh, really? I mean,
1: good musicality, great vocals, a lot of emotion.
0: Kelsey, your favorite Boys to Men
2: song?
1: Um, I think Boys to Men was like slightly before my time. <laughs> um.
0: Kelsey, your favorite Boys to Men song?
1: <laughs> um. Is there a song Oh,
0: God. (laughs) Should've been on the interview question. End of the road. End of the
1: road, end of the road,
0: thank you, thank you. Oh, gosh, okay. Second, doing some research about you, there's also a rumor going around CDL about how you've leveraged experiences at Orange Theory, the workout spot, into some of your work and education. So one, is that rumor true? And two, what the hell does that mean?
2: Do I get to know how you got this rumor into Uh, your-
0: Potentially. Depends how well you do with the rest of this episode.
2: I wonder if it's like Foo or someone else. Potentially. I think go it. ahead. Anyway, yeah. I mean, the rumor is true. Yeah, uh, so there was a time in my life not so long ago that I was obsessed with Orange Theory. No. And it was honestly, it was like happening at the same time. Everyone was like obsessed with blended learning and this idea of station rotation. And like everyone believing that like station rotation was the thing that was going to like change the way that we learn and so I, I like kind of got a little bit a little bit obsessed with the idea that like we learn a lot about education by learning concepts like not in the education sector but through like other means so we would like take people to Orange Theory and essentially it was like a station rotation model and we like let people debrief that experience and they would talk about like the role of technology, like wearing a heart monitor, seeing it on a screen, like was that motivating? Was that demotivating? How did the space impact them? Like how did it impact them to like be next to someone who was like way better than them or like way worse than them or who their coach was? I was just like, every time I went into a class for myself, I thought about like the nuances of that and how everyone experiences it differently. And this idea that like, we can't just blanket say this innovation is awesome. And because then everyone just experiences it so different. And so then we're like, oh yeah, okay, great. Kids are different. They have different needs. Like one solution isn't going to work for everybody. And so I loved it. And some people also loved it. Some people hated it. Not so much. I mean, it it tanked. We did it with our first cohort of Moonshot fellows. What do they hate about it? (laughs) I think, well, one, it was like late in the day because it was the only time we could get class. (laughs) And, and, and. Like, be like some people just like, I don't like working out, you know. Like, there was just fair, it was yeah, you know. And honestly, if I like really thought about it, and I mean, you could have definitely opt out, but I think about like ableism and like how that made people feel. And so, yeah. you know, if I had a do over, I'd do it differently, but like, it was a really fascinating thing to like learn about and talk about innovation from the way like people personally experience it versus yeah. just saying like. I may never experience station rotation, but I'm going to tell you for all these kids, blended learning is like the way to go. You know, exactly. and so it just was a nice way of I don't know. I mean, also,
0: Orange Theory work. isn't like necessarily an easy on-ramp to no. Work that's what I was thinking. You've never been to a class before, right? No. I mean, it's zero to one hundred. It's the definition of zero to one hundred.
2: Well, but like, think about that's what like that's in some ways like what people expect kids to go from like a classroom of
1: sitting yeah, with a five and
2: a teacher, and then like the next year you're like decide to go station rotation like we'll give you some like warm-up but it wasn't you know it's not like you, you gradually like worked your way into this independent learning time so I don't know I mean it's kind of what we wanted was like that kind of jarring experience in a way yep. I do remember my friend was like I just left and I threw up and came back and I was like still <laughs> <laughs> so my friend that was so That's good yeah
0: team building nonetheless with nothing
1: else <laughs>
2: It's true. I mean, that's the thing, though. For some people, it did build a lot of, like, camaraderie, right? And some people were yeah, right. like, I now belong to Orange Theory from that, like, one time we did it. But it also says, like, everyone's going to come out of those experiences, like, in a wildly different place. Yep. You know?
0: Anyway. That's good. So use that to kind of transition to current day. So we're going to get into what you're doing with Moonshot and some other things. But COVID affecting so many across the country, but really across the globe. Talk to us a little bit about how it's affecting your day-to-day.
2: I mean... It's bizarre, right? Like I think, I feel like honestly, every day is a different adventure. Every day is a different adventure from I'm worried about my parents to like our organization's gonna be completely fine and everyone's resilient and everyone can move virtual and it's like nothing changes sure. to like, is, is the cash that I have in the bank the only cash I'm gonna have? And when this thing sure. runs out, like we fall apart as an organization and how do I show up as a leader? to our fellows and to our teammates and my teammates, right? Like that oscillation is probably even more than daily. It's like hourly. Um,
0: And what's been your leadership style through this with like your team and your fellows? Is it open book communication closed off? Is it like, how do you process some of that?
2: It's a great question. I mean, we're super honest, I mean, I'm really honest with my team. I'm like we have to plan for all the different scenarios that we have like the good thing is like there's 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 like cash that's gonna take us um further into the year, and some of that is because I'm like really frugal and like never want to spend money. so in this case it's it's helped us, you know, like spend every dollar as if it were our own um, but I'm also like very real that I'm hearing. I hear different things. People are like, and some, peop- some people say like, philanthropy is not changing. If anything, people are gonna be more generous. Uh-huh. And in other cases, we're hearing people say like, we're protecting the grantees we have, we're not gonna find new ones. And so that to me means like, I have to maintain and care about the relationships that I have. I have no idea if I can create new ones. But like, the best thing I can do is be transparent with my team, like, there's just a lot of different scenarios we need to plan for. And I want you to be a part of that with me. Um, I don't have, go down like the rabbit hole of like, you know, we're all going to die. Yeah. That's not the best message. Um, but I didn't think for our fellows who are also starting their own ventures, like anything that I'm learning about what I, people are telling me to do as an ED. And I have a lot of access. I'm fortunate to have a lot of access to people and resources. Yep. I'm just trying to pass those messages down to our fellows who are also just trying to navigate, like, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my organization that at this point anywhere from like, one to three years old. I mean, they're all like really kind of baby, early stage organizations. and So we're all just kind of trying to get through it together. I think my my MO is to be transparent and to be collaborative. Um, And every time I learn something new, just be really open to my team. I also think there's just like moments where our team is just like, I need to walk. Like I need to not do my job right now. And I think we're trying to learn that like, we, we will not operate at 100% productivity right now. There's no way, like everyone, there's like an underty- under, like, undertones of anxiety that everyone's feeling, that if we think that like, we can just operate as is, we are like, you know, just like suppressing yeah. what is happening to humanity, you know?
0: Well, I mean, I think That's- it's important, right? Because like, maybe leadership in any context, would some want to keep it close to the chest, some want to be open book and talk about it. But then with you specifically and the work you're doing, kind of incubating new organizations, but also leaders, all the information you have, while maybe scary to them, if you open source it, if they take it right, will be helpful given the context of philanthropy and the context of how education may change as a result of this.
2: Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, just yesterday night, we had our like state of alumni call just to get folks together and remember like, there is a community here for you. There is a bigger network here. And to not feel alone, um, it's just a big part of it. I mean, it doesn't, I think it also, like, doesn't even just fill their cup. It fills mine to be like, y'all, if we if we work together, like, we'll, we'll figure out how to get through this, not without, like, some battle scars and wounds, but, yeah. And we're
0: all in the camp of, like, you know, some people are saying this will disrupt K-12 education as we know it. Some people are saying, chill out. We'll get back to normal. We'll forget about this. Like, where are you in the camp of, like, how this is going to affect public education?
2: I, I think it will just, like, fundamentally change. Really? So, um, yes, I do. I mean, I'm I'm curious to hear what y'all think. Like, yeah. I, uh, David Clifford, who I, I don't know if either of you know him, he um, was going to start to design School X. He's been doing some work around, like, the liberatory design framework with
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, the National Equity Project, like, right. sent me a question around, like, what do you, he's like, what do you think is going to be true about education when this is all over? And some of the things that I wrote to him were like, people will want the personalization. Now that they've been homeschooled for the last, like, however many months, it's like, I'm now learning, like, what I need as a learner. I know, know, like, what it feels like to have flexibility in my schedule and meeting outcomes. I now know, like, I need time for self, like, educators need time for self-care. Kids need time to, like, breathe, right? And have, have time for mental health and exercise. And I think we'll question, like, that the only way to learn is in a school building, right? And I think this in some ways really opens us up to say, we can learn in a lot of different places. Hopefully it's not just our homes and on Zoom, but I I have always been excited about like using museums as places of learning, using workplaces as places of learning. And I'm just like, kids of all ages and parents, I think are gonna demand something wildly different than what they have. And I think educators are going to also, I mean, I think we're in a really crappy spot of trying to like muddle through that now. But I think there's just gonna be things that feel routine that unless this like hard reset hadn't happened, like we wouldn't have even thought it was oh, possible. Yeah. So I don't know. But I'm curious. I mean, you sound surprised. You sound surprised by my answer that I think it will fundamentally change. I just think what people will demand yeah. will be really different.
0: I, I think I'm in that camp. I can't speak for Kelsey uh being optimistic, but I think it's um, gonna the, the acknowledgement probably from families of like, because now the families are the teachers in a sense, right? if They have the privilege yeah. to be so, so they're getting a very good sense of like maybe what rigorous curriculum and materials look like and maybe what they do not. So I think that's going to be really eye-opening for like what their kids are actually doing eight hours a day in school. But then as they begin to demand it, like how does the system and the structure change? Like will just, will people stop going to traditional public schools? Will they demand that if they go to districts that you know, we don't need eight hours a day. We do need to be going to museums. Or we don't need to be doing maybe some of this BS content or curriculum. Like, how do the actual structures change as a response to this? I think is where my head's at.
2: Yeah, I mean, I also think there's like the other side of that where parents are like, I would just love to shove my kids back into a they brick and mortar thing, you know. So, I mean, we should be honest. Like, I I take the optimistic view because I'm also like, I've always wanted us to push for something different, and I think this creates a moment for us to like, ask parents, ask students, ask educators about, like, in what ways can we make the world different now that we've lived a different reality for X amount of months. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would think, you know, Dr. Fuller was on the podcast, one of our first guests, and he talked about kind of the distribution model of education is broken, of how education is distributed to kids, and that, you know, he talked about experiences, uh, learning and meeting with people who are running kind of programs or schools, but weren't sanctioned as schools, but they were, um, you know, helping people recover from drug addiction or helping yeah. um, uh, people that were transitioning off or outside of jail get jobs and recover professionally in that way. But people running these programs or nonprofits weren't considered schools because the way we define the school is a district school, a charter school, or a private school. And if you don't claim right. into those three buckets, In our current society, you're not defined as a school and your distribution model has to be different. So does this or could this perhaps disrupt that distribution model to do and like serve more of those leaders that he was talking about? So I think that's.
2: Yeah, I mean, and that's why um, we we've made some really conscious choices around the language we use at Moonshot to say folks are designing learning environments because we're like school is kind of outdated, right? Like it is an outdated yeah <laughs> you know so like right like we we yeah. say learning environments because we're like i would love for people to dream bigger about yeah like what learning should look like and yeah. what counts as school so i'm with you on that i love yeah. what we're about your
1: language say again i i appreciated that about your the language you used to describe kind of I and mean, we haven't even started talking about your venture but yeah
2: I thank you for noticing it's important to us too for sure. And I think before we get a
0: moonshot, like tell I mean, tell us, but tell the seven million people that listen to all of our yeah. podcast episodes. like who and
1: YouTube,
0: yep, yep, and our YouTube subscribers. Shout out to our YouTube subscribers. Um,
2: I'll subscribe, I haven't subscribed yet. Since we got one, three. Um,
0: so tell us like who, like, who is CDL and how did you get to be who you are?
2: Uh, in 30 seconds. Well, bigger question you know like I'll, I'll just like i i um i grew up in a really fun but kind of crazy household i uh, um where in uh, outside detroit in michigan oh, yeah. um so, it was so. i have four siblings so i have two older sisters and two younger brothers so i'm like squarely the middle child oh, yeah and, like I don't know there was like there were like five of us sharing a bathroom and like I don't know I had my own room but my two sisters shared a room my two brothers shared a room so I actually felt like completely alienated so even though it sounds cool I was like just very much a middle child in my home but like I don't know my my parents are both from the Philippines um we all were born here and I like when I think about the question that you asked around home like like we had home cooked meals like we were building like forts out of like the cushions of the couch and like when you have four siblings, it's like you actually, I mean, you you still have friends, but like your (laughs) family or your friends, like you're just always playing, we were playing. We were like, I, I don't know why, when you asked this question, I was like, I just remember also slicing up cucumbers and putting them on a plate and trying to sell them to the imaginary people in my backyard. <laughs> like you were like, hustling, I from, a, hustling deck. from a young age.
0: How much did you sell them
2: for? I, well, I think, say again?
0: How much did you sell them for?
2: I don't even, I'd probably like 25 cents a slice, you know, like who yeah, yeah, yeah. knows? But yeah. I just like, well, I, I- turning quite a profit. Nobody bought it, amazingly, like <laughs> no, no buyers. But like, I remember my house as a place of like, I don't know, besides like middle, like middle child angst, like just a place of like a lot of creativity, right? Like we almost never turned on the TV. We were always like making up games. It was like, i was very lucky to have like that level of like play and privilege and like high academic excellence was very much a standard in my home. Um, Still trying to unwork some of the like perfectionism stuff, but
1: you know, how did you end up in Denver.
2: Um, oh my goodness. Um, I I ended up here. So I, I went from Michigan. So I, went, I grew up outside Detroit. and went to school in Ann Arbor. I went to the University of Michigan.
0: You regret <laughs> not going to Ohio State?
2: I'll just move on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Please. Anyway. All right. Did you Sorry. go to Ohio State? Is no, that- he didn't. Oh. Um, okay, I was
2: very proud of going to the University of Michigan. Then I moved to Chicago. I was a consultant in Chicago. Then I moved to Los Angeles. I worked for the Broad Foundation. Did a lot of work around like leadership development and school leadership. That's like where I just believed school leaders were like everything to make or break a school. Um, and then I moved to San Francisco, the Bay Area. I worked for Education Pioneers. I started their first year-long fellowship. So then I like just got hooked on like what it means to like create and start something and what it means to support leaders. And then I went to Boston. I did my um, education leadership degree there and honestly got to this place of saying like, we've stopped believing in like innovation and education or actually quite frankly, like stopped believing in the essence of what it means to be, to create really strong learning environments for kids driven by like Piaget right. And just like other folks that had just written incredible things about learning I was like what happened and then when I thought about like where innovation was happening it was like all in charter spaces and I really wanted to do innovative work in a district context Mm -hmm. and Denver public schools was like um the place where I felt like there was innovation
0: why were you so focused on districts because you felt like it was already happening in the charter space that I mean it was it was an equity issue
2: Yeah, yeah I mean it was like you had a handful of kids in charters, you had thousands and thousands of kids in district schools. so if, only, if innovation was only happening in charter schools, we were actually ignoring where the majority of kids were and I was hooked on the idea of trying to figure out like how can we innovate within our existing public structures yep. and I felt like Denver was a really good place to do that so I did my honestly the sad part of the story is like I did my residency there there were a lot I feel like I worked harder than i have ever worked and bureaucracy is hard like it's hard to move so many people i had a a friend in grad school who worked for the new york city department of ed yep and kind of equated it to oh it's so depressing it's like the titanic right where like you have the titanic district you see this glacier like where you don't want to go and you can literally like turn as hard as you can to one side to avoid the glacier but like the ship's just like it's like incrementally moving because the number of like people and systems and structures and cultures that need to move is so difficult you know like and I and I saw that that. like
0: can districts be saved or do we need to rethink districts
2: I think districts are meant to preserve at like a certain structure and status quo for in some ways well-intentioned Uh, that's a big question. I think districts can be saved. I think it requires some radical reinvention that would require a lot of people to be on board with that amount of radical reinvention, right?
0: Well, it's important from where we start with COVID too, because if districts can change and if COVID is maybe a breaking point to change that, will all those systems actually adapt or evolve for kind of a new vision of education, Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I used to talk about with someone here not so long ago is like, you know, new schools get a year zero where they kind of decide like how they want to be and like have a whole year to figure it out. I and a colleague of mine have just been like, wouldn't it be interesting if we had a year zero for districts? So part of the reason I think they never reinvent themselves is if you think about a school year, which I think is flawed, is you have... The fall, which is when everyone's trying to figure out what's going on. Yep. October, when like things are happening. <laughs> November, when people are like, sorry, it's Thanksgiving. And then yep. when you get back, they're like, sorry, it's like the holidays. Yep. January is, sorry, we just got back from the holidays. February, people are learning. March is testing. April is, we're done testing. And then May happens and school's over, right? And then we just do it all over again. And it's while there's like all those breaks, it's like kind of exhausting. The the calendar doesn't allow for reinvention, right? Like if you're a teacher, you're probably out on summer vacation for like four to six weeks before you go back and like start PD again. So like where is the time to like take a pause and innovate? So I don't know, like in some ways, I think when we get out of just like triage around education, I wonder whether or not we'll get into this like let's give ourselves a real year zero and innovate. But I do think the districts that decide to take that approach could come out very much on top. If you, but like we're just not even like mentally can't even...
0: Get there. Yeah. So then take us from like, that's helpful context from Denver, but then kind of fast forward to where you are now with moonshot. Tell us like what we need to know about moonshot and type of work you guys are doing.
2: Yes. So we are uh, a tiny nonprofit. I started this organization in 2015, got paid in 2016 for this job. Mm -hmm. Um, And we work to service and support um, a really diverse set of leaders who want to design and launch new learning environments. Um, And that means that includes both schools um, and programs and sometimes it in for people it means launching something and for other folks it actually means Taking on leadership of existing school and like changing it from that like that lens yep. um, and Yeah, we we run a cohort based model. It's part-time We tell everybody like don't quit your day job till you know what you're getting yourself into because it's yep. a lot yep. Yeah, it is a lot. So We, the hard part is that means we work with folks on nights and weekends and we, um, I mean, of course we work with them on the design of that school or program, spend a lot of time with them, helping them understand like what it means to co-design that with students and families um, and and start to implement like things around what we're learning about the brain. So like learning science and thinking about Mm. outcomes that are beyond academics. But we also spend a lot of time, I would say in some ways we spend even more time when we first are working with our fellows, on their leadership, right? Like, what do they understand about their leadership? Do they, do they feel affirmed in their identity to be leading and see themselves as an entrepreneur? And do they why, understand- why is, that,
0: why is that specific part focusing on leadership so important to incubating innovative things in education?
2: Because I would say for a lot of our leaders, when they come into our program, they have been in so many different environments where their own identity has been suppressed, they haven't felt appreciated for the gifts that they bring to the table. That sometimes people are even coming to us being like, I don't even know if I should be here. There's a lot of imposter syndrome. And we're just trying to tell people and remind people, like whatever you come in with, whatever you have, whatever gifts you have, you have like an insane amount of strengths. You have like gifts to give the world. And sometimes people just like, need that space to sure. feel reaffirmed in their leadership in a way they haven't in their work environments. And it's interesting, in Denver, I mean, we have three quarters of our students are students of color. One quarter of our teachers are, are teachers of color. Right. So right. when our teachers are in spaces, because um, we work with a high percentage of people of color, they usually feel like they're the only one, right? So they're also carrying the load of like being an educator that doesn't always necessarily look like their peers, um, and also being the person who's oftentimes supporting emotionally the students that are in their classrooms, right? And so by the time they get to us, sometimes people are just so broken down, you know, like they don't believe in themselves anymore. And so sometimes people are just like, I need that affirmation leadership. I need this community to remember I can, like, I can forget why I this. had this idea in the first place and why yes. it's valid. And it's valid and it's like worth it, you know. And I think sometimes some of our fellows are like, I never thought that my idea was like even worth saying out loud, you know. And so we watch this like leader transformation that I honestly think is even more incredible. I mean, the stuff they create is incredible, but it is like the evolution of the leader that we see uh, that is like mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Then obviously, the last part is like, a lot of these folks don't have like the political and social capital and the networks that I think a lot of other people who come with privilege typically comes with folks who are both white and male um, get. And so we're doing a lot of work to connect them with people who are decision makers, funders, um, critical to their launch so that you know, they start to build the kind of network they need to to launch their idea. And we also say to them, like, you could start charter school, you could start an after-school program, sure. and let's, like, help you understand what each of those things are. Because oftentimes there's misconceptions on, like, what a charter school is. So, No. <laughs> really? really I feel like everybody
0: has all the facts and knows everything about all those things. Right? Nor would they try to, like, make something up that's not 100% accurate.
2: Oh my gosh. I mean, the amount of things that – I think that's what I love so much about our fellows is they're rewriting the narrative on like what a charter school can be, you know, Mm -hmm. like we have, I don't, I don't think you've met or heard of, maybe you have Wisdom Amuzu who has founded Empower Community High School. He is a leader. He's a black man, comes from Aurora, grew up there. His family's there and started a school that is like completely co-created with the high schoolers there. They wrote the charter application together. They built that school together. And it's like, charter schools were always meant to be places of like labs and innovation and they turned into like a a tool in so many cases where folks felt like folks were coming into their communities right and like building something they thought was good for them and I think our fellows just kind of reclaim what a charter can be in like a really positive community-centered way. So
0: So as I go through kind of these fellowships is it it sounds like they don't know if they're going to kind of innovate within a district, innovate within a charter or an after school program until after. And so it's kind of part of the design process. Is that right? Yeah.
2: yeah. We we really believe in giving them A, the information, the real information, sure. and then B the choice. You know, like I don't think that charter schools are the only way to create something great for kids. Yep. And I also like, um, I reject the idea that if we can't open new charter schools, which is very real for a lot of different cities where like the need for new schools is less, the um, the public will for charters is um, starting to, right? Like there's a lot of pushback against charter schools. That doesn't mean that like learning doesn't need to change in school buildings, right? And so that's why I think we we really value the multiple ways of changing learning that could happen through programs. And oftentimes programs are a really cool way of doing it because it means school doesn't have to take on the extra burden of what does it mean to support, for example, like immigrant students and, and families or LGBTQ plus students, right, in their school. And our fellows are like ready to come in, provide that kind of programming. So there's just like, we just believe so strongly in providing folks that, that choice. Um, and helping them make an educated choice too.
0: Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, oftentimes, like a lot of people in the space know about the charter district dynamic, but then let's just say they both kill it and like they figured it out, they got the new wave of education done. I think people forget that kids still get out of school at three o'clock and it's like, now what do these people do? And so, like, you know, after school programs, summer programs, I think the whole pipeline and the platform working together, but innovative together I think is important because the nuance of it one thing or one entity I don't think is going to solve all the ills and inequities we have in public education right now.
2: No it's not and I think it you're right like I think it's like and in some ways it's like the network effect it's also why we love doing this work all in Denver I mean folks have asked us like will we go national or will we run like a national cohort but there's something really beautiful about like some of our programs are working with our school founders like they bring them into their building or like they just see each other like outside of, you know, like at conferences or whatever. And there's just something about that like communal feel of the cohort and the way in which they work together that I think is like so much more magical than if we had peppered 48 people across, you know, 50 states. So yeah, it's it's pretty awesome to watch it um, kind of grow and be built into something honestly so much bigger and beyond the organization in such a short period of time.
0: That's uh, so cool. Kelsey, do you have the next one?
1: Yeah, just keeping on like the community feel and um, Denver. So you're in cohort three now? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So kind of what are the wider effects or impacts you're seeing on Denver now that you've moved into cohort three and raised all these new leaders? Yeah, <laughs> I was like
2: raised. I know sometimes it's, it's all your babies, right? They I, know. You? I know everyone's like, "Oh, you have like 48 kids!" Like, <laughs> I was like, "That is frightening." Um, I there. I think there's two things. I think one is, and we run like two events a year. Our big one is Showcase in December. A great time to come to Denver, uh, especially On if you it. are a skier. Booking a flight. Yeah. I mean, I would wait a little bit right now, but you know,
1: <laughs> I mean, they're probably cheap.
2: We, I think what's so great about Showcase is the current cohort of fellows kind of give one minute pitches on their ideas. And I think when people come to those events, it like inspires people to believe that like, how there are these amazing entrepreneurs who have like so many cool ideas about like, how we can change learning that I've never heard before, right? And it's so, I think people are just inspired by the ideas that come. That is one. I think like the inspiration of the kinds of learning environments we wanna create is amazing. I think the second thing that is so powerful is actually seeing like a very like racially and gender diverse group of folks who are also leading the charge. I think it is inspiring to the community members who come, the families who are there. And just to say like, oh, you know, like I think we have a very white dominated leadership in Denver. I think there were many conferences that I've gone to where it's like 95% white. I mean, don't quote me on that like data, but like that's that was what it felt like. And so now it's interesting. I mean, I want it to be different, but like when our moonshot folks show up in a room, people are like, Oh yeah we can tell moonshot folks are here you know like one sadly it's just because of the color of their skin two though it's because our fellows are like unafraid to like speak the truth about like what's going on you know and and to call things out when they feel white dominant to call things out when it feels like racism um that's it's it's, like the way they show up is uh pre-palpable to the people um and I think, you know, with, with every cohort, it just means like we're growing that by 15 to 20 every year. So like, it's just nice to see this like inundation. There's just like a, I don't know. I'm very lucky. I think our fellows have like a very good reputation. It's just like, people are like, I talked to your fellows. They're like super open to feedback. Like they want, um, it seems like they want help. They like really believe in the power of community, like there's just like a lot of cool commonalities that people see. I think our fellows are just very rooted in their community. I mean, we, we recruit them locally because we think like the community, like change in a community can happen from within. No, so yeah. like, we don't need to go to like Texas or Chicago to find the best leader. Like we believe that they already exist um, in this ecosystem and they just need supports, you know, and money quite frankly, to like get to where they need to go. And it's been really neat to like start to change. I think part of it was like, we wanted to change all the mental models that made assumptions about how you find leaders, where innovation comes from, um, what the role of a community is and all of that change. And it's been really great to watch that happen over the last few years.
0: Yeah so cool. Can you talk, I mean, knowing that moonshot focuses and supports leaders of color, um, through their cohort and some of the guys, some of the work you already do. And I think you identifying as a woman of color as well. Like has race and gender, um, played a factor if it has in your, in you in the space leading this work?
1: Uh,
2: in like so many ways. Um, honestly, uh, it's interesting. I thought about this for like my own journey because I think there was a time in my life early in my career where like my aspiration was like assimilation is like what's going to get me to like where I like how I can be successful and to play the game and my, my culture, my gender, my race like just doesn't is unimportant honestly is like what i internalized when i first started in my professional career
0: and i asked why like was it like societal systems oh yeah
2: i mean i was working for like a strategy consulting firm that was like majority white and male our clients were like old white and male so like bringing my full self into that room was actually like not at all what i was honestly coached to do um you know and it was like I really feel like now that I look back, like, I wore really ugly clothes because I think that's, like, what every other consultant was wearing, just, like, to that level, um, of assimilation, and it was funny, and I also think, like, being Asian American, like, there's, like, a, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy that, like, you're not loud, you're not out in front, like, your job is to, like, serve other people, and, like, you know, like, I just had this, this, like, you're not threatening, um, And that it wasn't about like my voice, it was about like synthesizing other people's ideas. Like my ideas didn't matter. And I don't, there was like, just like this really weird turning point. I was like in this leadership cohort and someone was like, um, they basically were just like, no, no, no. Like, I don't care. It's not what what other people say. It's like, I want to know what you think, like what your actual beliefs are, like what your values are. And no one had asked me that before. And so like, that was like this moment in time where I was like, oh, fuck. Like I haven't, sorry, am I? Can I, can I do uh, that? We're,
0: we're pro cussing, it's good for kids. Right. I was cussing. like, so it's there's good.
2: gonna be like an explicit version than like a, you know, edited <laughs> version. Um, Education
0: is explicit, CDL is what we we'll say.
2: Jeez. Um, someone's gonna like take it and just like take that little blurb and play it over again. <laughs> um, I just was like, it, honestly, that wasn't until like five or six years ago where I was like, huh, I'm allowed to like have my own opinion, have a set of values that I believe five, in. years
0: ago, really? I mean, it
2: wasn't really that long ago, you know, because I just like, was living in other people's worlds. And so I don't know, I feel like once I started realizing that was the thing, I I started thinking about like, what do I really believe in? I honestly started standing up to other people. It didn't go over so well all the time, to the point where I was like, if I'm staying in education, I'm either going to work for myself or get get out, because I feel too strongly about the things that I believe in. I think in so many ways Moonshot was like um, my last ditch ever to say if I like live authentically in this world as an Asian American woman who believes deeply in, in issues of equity and community alongside like entrepreneurship and leadership, like this is it. Um, and I actually don't think I've been able to like lead authentically until this job, which I think is crazy to think about. Um and I think there's something so interesting. I think being Asian American in a conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion, there's a really unique opportunity to be a bridge builder, honestly. like white people let you into their conversations and people of color let you into their conversations in a way that like, it doesn't work sometimes if like a white person, you know what I mean? And so I, I think I have like a real privilege in that way. It, it, I think it's a real asset in this work because I also don't think, I mean, I do believe so much in our fellows living authentically in their experiences, but I don't believe in like, that we can't, we can't have allies in this work, right? And, and I think it takes all people to like raise all boats and so I think in so many ways like I also think sometimes people just don't think I'm threatening which is good you know like and so we just keep pushing I mean truly so they like really get to know
0: you then they understand? Yeah, like they're You're still light. just like that's that
2: is cute, too and, you know? <laughs> yeah exactly they're like wow I just thought she was just like cute you know like trying to do her thing and I'm like that's fine because nope. like at some point we're just let gonna them like
1: underestimate
2: <laughs> yes let them underestimate me I'm gonna like run all over you. you won't even know it And they're probably not going to listen to this podcast, at least this far in. So, like, it's nothing to say, you know? (laughs) Seven
0: million people. You keep saying that. Seven million people. Somebody's (laughs) going to
2: make it. It's going to blow up. All these quotes are going to come out and
0: then. Somebody's going to make it to the end. (laughs) All right. Um, Well, I mean, number one, obviously, thank you for that. But then transitioning to some kind of rapid fire one. So if we asked you the most innovative thing you're seeing in public Mm -hmm. education right now, what would you say?
2: This is a really hard question, but I will say there was a very, very tangible tool that um, a teammate passed to me yesterday that in the world of like virtual learning, making it accessible to everybody is something that I don't think we're always thinking about. So like with folks who have autism, folks who have dyslexia, folks who have like physical and motor disabilities, there's like this cool guide around like, how we think about virtual learning in a different way. I mean, I, it might not sound terribly innovative, but what I think it does, is it, it makes sure that we don't ignore folks that sometimes feel like they're at the margins and yep. are like forgotten in in these moments. And I will say like, there isn't an innovation here yet, but I-, call? I also, it's,
0: So it's a website or a tool? What's it called? Uh,
2: it's a tool. Um, I'll have to find it for you. I should have just pulled it up. I'll see if I can pull it up. release um, it. it's awesome. Yeah, it's great. And then, Um, I don't think there's yet like an innovation here, but I think like the mindset of remembering like the equity conversation should not get lost in COVID. I think the disproportionality, um, particularly for African-Americans, like who is dying, like who's getting sick and who's dying has to make us start to realize like, you can't ignore race in these conversations, even, I mean, I get it, like humanity is suffering, but like some people are suffering more than others. I don't think there's an innovation there, but I'm like, we need to remember that. Because I think if we don't think about that in this argument, I'm just like, we're ignoring a big part of like kind of systemic inequities that are magnified um, in this So it's not an innovation as much as I'm like, there should be something there, but I don't know what like the something is. Yeah,
1: this might tie into your next answer, but um, can you give us one actionable thing for our audience of 7 million to do by the end <laughs> of the week?
2: I don't know why we're not going just for like 10, 100 million, you know, 10 million, 100 million. We're into this. We're easing into this. <laughs> this is hard data. Um, it's funny. I the actionable thing is, uh, is I mean, is obviously this question around like how do we keep that front and center, which is like kind of an action, just kind of a mindset. To me, I actually think one of the best actions we can take is like thank an educator for the work that is happening. I mean, they are especially
0: now with how they're yes. rethinking their job, right? Yeah,
2: like it's, a, it's it was a hard job to begin with. it is still a hard job my guess is by what teachers are getting paid they don't live in the nicest of places so they're also probably like struggling to figure out like how do i live in my cramped apartment i'm making assumptions but i think that's true for a lot of teachers um and then they're like being the tech support for their students who like you know and and we're expecting them to teach so i just think like if people if everyone reached out to an educator to say thank you for the work they're doing i mean i think they're on the front lines in a different way Yeah, that's great i think that's it's just important to remember
0: Okay, everybody's favorite question, all 7 million of our followers and subscribers. What does Square Pizza remind you of?
2: Okay, two things. One, as a child, we had Little Caesars pizza because I grew up outside Detroit. It's like Square Pizza is actually Detroit style
1: pizza. Yeah, you probably have the best memories of this. Yes,
2: and like Little Caesars came in like big, it also came in the most eco-friendly packaging where it was like a cardboard and a big piece of paper like stapled. And so that's my childhood memory. Wow, yeah, that's good. Now, though, because I hate Mondays, um, my husband and I—we're <laughs>
0: back—and we're back to hated Mondays.
2: <laughs> my husband and I have instituted Pizza Monday because pizza uh, is like just like happiness in a box, you know. And we have a very good Detroit-style pizza place here called Blue Pan Pizza. Shout out to Blue Pan Pizza—they're so good. I mean, it's literally Detroit-style pizza. Appreciate so now. That. Square, square pizza reminds me of, like, the happiness that happens on Mondays.
0: I feel like Blue is going to be a sponsor of the Square Pizza mm-hmm. podcast pretty soon. I got a good feeling about that.
1: I mean. We're Little I,
0: Caesars. I, I, yeah, a better. Deeper yeah. pockets. Deeper pockets. All right, uh, follow-up question. Did you guys have square pizza in
2: school growing up? Ooh, that's a hard thing to say because, like, we had everything that came in those, like, trays with the plastic on it.
0: So you definitely have I
2: think by design, pizza was square, you know, like, cause that would fit in the tray, but not like square pizza and like not happy square pizza, like sad square pizza. Sad square
0: pizza, yeah. That's- Did you? We only do happy square pizza here. We don't believe in sad square pizza. Apparently A bit more optimistic than that. Lunch, yeah. Um, CDL, thanks for your work. Thanks for pushing the conversation forward for all you're doing. And thanks for taking time to join us today.
2: Thank
1: you for having me.
0: Hey, guys, this is Greg. Thanks again for checking out the podcast episode. Uh, feel free to show us some love on social media. So Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, at Shermco, S-C-H-E-R-M-C-O, and hashtag SquarePizzaPod. Uh would love to see your reviews and connect with you there. Um, stay in touch for the next episode.